Welcome to American Dreams, Keys to Success, with your host, Alan Olson. He's a Bay Area native. He's a successful businessman, well-connected, and a friend to all. He's been published and quoted in various media outlets. And he's been honored for his philanthropic contributions. Apple pie, baseball, and now here's All-American Alan Olson. Welcome to today's show. This is Alan Olson, America Dreams, the Keys to Life Success. And this is Nadine Camera. What are your dreams? What do you want out of life and what defines success? Well, they need me to have a great show today. We have Dick Buxton coming on a private capital corp. He'll be joining us shortly to talk about U.S. job creation. I'm very interested in hearing what he has to say. I think we're going. Our listeners should stay tuned because it's going to be a very interesting show. You know, I'm going to come back on the job creation. There's obviously a, a political race going on, and the, the GOP are kind of undecided, and and then the Democrats look pretty intent on uh, with Obama being the only candidate to uh, to run against whoever they come up with the GOP. But an interesting thing to note is that uh, as this race kind of seesaws back and forth, there's consistently uh, Gingrich is in the lead now, but. Uh, Romney's number two. Uh, there was a Perry in the lead, Romney number two. Paulson in the lead, Romney number two. So this Mitt Romney, he always seems to be consistently in second place. And right now, there was an article that came recently through the Wall Street Journal that uh, the polls are climbing for Mitt again. And I'd like to read something interesting because I think when it comes down to this philosophy of job creation, uh, it's going to be you know what what his side of the fence is saying versus on Obama's side. But right. uh, Mitt has been a public servant a lot during his, his career, so he's not coming into this new uh, serving as the governor of, uh, of uh, Massachusetts for several years. But I want to read this following. It says, Mitt from his um, Mitt Romney 2002 site says the following. After going to both Harvard Business School and uh, Harvard Law School simultaneously, by the way, he, he graduated number one from Harvard Law School. Wow. In a simultaneous uh, run, he passed the Michigan bar, but he never worked as an attorney. As a venture capitalist, Romney's first major business deal involved investing in startup office supply company with one store in Massachusetts that sold office supplies. That company was called Staples, and it now employs over 90,000 people. Romney or his company, Bain Capital, um, using what became known as the Bain Way would go on to perform the same kinds of business miracles again and again with companies like Domino's, Sealy's, Brookstone, Weather Channel, Burger King, Morning Music Group, Dollarama, Home Depot Supply, and many others. You got your calculators handy? I want to give you a recap. Okay, so Mitt served as a volunteer campaign worker on his dad's gubernatorial campaign for one year. He was also an unpaid intern in the governor's office for eight years. He served as a Mormon missionary in Paris for two years. He was an unpaid bishop and stake president for his church for 10 years. So no salary as the president of the Olympics for three years. No salary as Massachusetts governor for four years. That's a grand total of 28 years of unpaid service to his country, his community, and his church. Why? Because that's the kind of man Romney is. You know, you touched on an interesting fact, Alan, and that is um, Mitt Romney. I've noticed with 
the GOP debates, and, and even with people that I've talked to that are Democrat, that are very disappointed in Mr. Obama, there are many that have voted for Obama before that are not going to be voting for him, um, and that call themselves conservative Democrats, is fiscally conservative and concern about the fiscal shape of our nation. But about Mitt Romney is that they're attacking him. His his fellow Republicans are attacking him for laying off people and, you know, firing people from their jobs when actually he built businesses at, like Domino's, like Staples. And there's so many places you could find a company that either was a startup or failing that he restructured to help people keep jobs and grow versus what they're trying to pin him as. Oh, I agree. I think it's all not true. What you're hearing in the media is not true. And uh, when people get to know the true myth, you know, I think we're looking at the next president of the United States. I'm going to make that prediction now. I would like to see him because I think our country really needs it. So let's talk about the Christmas holiday. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Oh, my gosh. We're just recovering from all these uh, spending sprees. And uh, the, the consumers were not the only ones out spending quite a bit this year. Okay, the um, U.S. financial reports show that government liabilities exceeded assets by $14.75 trillion. This rose from a $13.473 trillion gap from earlier this year. So that's over a trillion dollars. Uh, Alan, what's your analysis on um, this U.S. debt? Oh, my gosh. The debt continues to rise. We're, we're out of sync. We're spending $3, three trillion a year, $3.2 trillion, and we're, we're bringing in $2.2 trillion in revenue. And, uh, and, and there's no end in sight. You know, it's, it's a matter of living beyond our means. In the business world, if you're living beyond your means, you have to make adjustments. And uh, so as we look at what's going on out there with this federal deficit, it's clearly out of control. What are your solutions, Alan? What do you believe that the federal government should do? Well, I think we need to turn it out, out of government and go back to the, the private, private world. Uh, the, the, the best people to make job creations are the businesses themselves because if they're not fiscally responsible, those businesses will be out of business within a short period of time. Also, you know, people need to stay employed. They need to stay working. And right now we got half of America, well, it's around 58% of the budget goes into entitlement programs. So there's, that's a little controversial depending on what side of the fence you're on. Right. You know, you got the, the group that says, well, the, the, the rich should be paying more money and, uh, you know, taking more out of it. But the, the reality is this, the government is spending well beyond what it can afford to spend. I, I truly believe if you took 100% of what all the rich people are making, it still wouldn't cure a $14 trillion deficit. Let me ask you, though, um, you're, uh, you're a leader of a... Uh, ma- you're the managing partner of a well-known CPA firm. Mm-hmm. Can you Grupo, tell our... Yeah. Um, can you tell our listeners how this high federal tax deficit is going to affect the the taxpayer? Well, I think eventually you got two things that are happening. You have a tax gap. In other words, it's what, you know, if an individual ta- tax gap is defined this way, if an individual comes in one year and reports $10 million in gains because they may have had a sale of a business or a large stock sale or something like that, well, the government says for that individual, they're always going to report that $10 million year after year after year. And so what happens, they'll step in, and, and when the next year comes, we may have experienced a large recession, a large pullback in the stock market. All of a sudden, the government says, where's my money? 
Right. And and so and so they're out there looking for ways to create additional tax revenues. And uh, as the more they put the tax burden on the individuals, you know, the more expensive it becomes. And I'll tell you that the worst possible place you can be in in this country today is a W-2 wage earner. People complain about, you know, this uh, that that the rich aren't paying enough taxes, but proportionally. Those people that are earning the W-2 have little room to negotiate what their tax liability is because of the way that the tax system is currently structured. So, uh, you know, the, the solution here, I think the whole thing needs an overhaul. Right. You know, and I think it needs to be turned back to uh, allowing business to businesses to flourish. We're beyond a national economy into a more global economy, and this country has always stayed on top because of the ability to innovate. Well, if business flourish here in America, then j- people are hired. If if they're taxed uh, beyond measure, they're going to go to other countries yeah, they like are. Brazil, yeah. and they're just going to leave and uh, bring their jobs elsewhere. Let's talk about job creation in Brazil. Do you, are you aware that the U.S. recently hired the country of Brazil to build its airplanes with the United States Air Force? <laughs> Well, even GM has moved uh, some of their major manufacturing facilities over to Brazil. But I'm talking about a country where 8.6% <laughs> unemployment and the government is going to other countries to give away our, uh, our our contracts. We're building our own military planes. I I believe they even sold our deep sea drilling um, that they stopped off the coast of Louisiana. And a lot of Louisianans are unemployed. And they sold those leases not to Brazil or Venezuela, to other countries, so that they can do the deep sea drilling versus America, and then thus more job loss. Venezuela, who's always been in real friendly terms with the United <laughs> States, right? Yeah. You know, so. there, it, there's a lot of financial burden. I, I believe that if, if we have all this spending, it's going to create not only a financial burden for us, but future generations, Alan. Oh, hey, Nadine, we got to take a quick break here. We'll be right back after these messages. Nothing's more important than spending time with your family. At Greenstone Rogoff Olson Company, we're trusted advisors to the highly successful. Our goal is to help you find the right strategy to protect your wealth for yourself and those you love. Kids! Why do I feel like I just had an audit? As trusted advisors to the highly successful, we'll make sure you don't lose your shirt. Apple pie, baseball, and now here's All-American Alan Olson. Welcome back. Today we have Dixon Buxton. He's a senior director of Private Capital Corp. Joining us today, and Dick, I understand that your company encourages other companies to create jobs. We do. Why don't you give me some background about what your your company does? Well, we're in the uh, private company investment banking field uh, in terms of helping private companies make a market for their stock. And uh, sometimes that's a private placement through um, an employee stock ownership plan, uh, through a management stock ownership plan, through a private equity group, or a combination of all three. Dick, uh, what, in your opinion, on the un- is uh, your opinion on the unemployment in our nation? Is there any cause for us to be concerned? I, 
I, I, I would say so. And, um, and our nation has to focus more on vocational training and more companies should share ownership with their employees. Uh, soon to be published data uh, shows in 2009, the, the darkest days of the Deep Recession, 12% of the people who were employee owners lost jobs. But the number of those with no ownership was almost 40%, almost three times higher. Same results were evident in 2007, 2008. Companies that don't share ownership with management and long-time employees tended to have big, uh, big ups and downs in gross profit and workforce levels depending on the general economy, whereas companies with some kind of employee ownership had much less volatility in all measures, indicating they were right-sized in good and bad times. You know, I, I got to get involved with uh, in this discussion the government, all this government funding, because it it seems like uh, you know there was a shift in terms of a philosophical shift in terms of whose problem this is, and uh, I've seen the government start to step in and start to take more control and and spend more dollars, uh, but not of it is always for the good. For example, uh, recently at the Christmas vacation, Michelle Obama. You know, uh, flies with Air Force One with the family over to uh, Hawaii, and uh, the vacation costs some four million dollars or so. Right. Um, it you know, and it's just you know when we talk about this nation's federal deficit, and we hear people standing up saying we're going to get this under control, and uh, yet nothing seems to happen, and then you see this wasteful spending on this yeah. this line. So, um, you know, when we look at this government spending. You know, and and address the problem that we have now. Where um, where do you see the greatest uh, cause for concern, or the areas that we can probably bring solutions to the table? Well, first, this is going to sound radical, but the the current system for granting unemployment benefits needs to be changed. Local community boards should interview applicants for low interest loans while they're unemployed. Employers should have incentives to hire qualified employees so the loans can be repaid. There should be frequent personal conferences by local agencies with those getting loans and evidence provided that there were actual job interviews. Too many people only start looking for work as they get close to the cutoff date. They will turn down low-paying jobs that might lead to higher income later as their unemployment check is more than the new job pays. Now, another reason for high unemployment is in some states is, is the lack of mobility of many employees who have job skills but not in their community or state. Over 20 million homeowners with little or no equity in their homes but a roof over their head are reluctant to move to other parts of the nation where they might find work. So a commission should investigate ways the federal government can work with the states to solve this problem. Educational grants to states with good vocational training programs can also reduce unemployment. You know, Mitt Romney wants to let the states decide how to administer Medicaid programs, and the same concept can work with the unemployed. You know, I think that's a great concept to turn it back to the states, make it their problem. Right. I had it recently. Uh, I, I teach class, and one of the students came up to me. He's on unemployment, and he says, you know, the only reason I'm sitting in your class here today is because I have to go through this retraining program and the government is going to give me my unemployment checks as long as I stay in school. <laughs> and I said, really? I said, well, what's so hard about getting a job? He says, he says, Alan, he goes, the money's too nice. You know, he says, he says, if I can stay here, he goes, I owe all these debts on my home mortgage 
And he goes, and, and they can't do anything to me. They can't levy my unemployment check. And so he says, I'm just going to wait it out until my entitlements run out there in you two go. years. There you go. You know, uh, many of us uh, got our college education while we worked full-time jobs. With the large number of open universities and online courses, federal dollars to fund student loans should be curtailed. And also the practice you just talked about, paying people to be unemployed. Many high school graduates should get vocational training so they can acquire skills that are in demand. If they want a college education, their family can't or won't finance them, or they don't qualify for a scholarship, they should get this education the old-fashioned way and work for it. I agree with that. I recently met an individual who uh, was expecting a child and uh, newly married, and they said, well, now that I'm expecting, I'm entitled to this government program, well, they'll give me $30 a week as long as I promise not to work. Oh, and that's something. An incentive not to work. <laughs> An incentive not to work. And, uh, my, and oh my. We're talking about, you know, the college kids, right? And, and uh, so it's just, it, 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 it just seems that this country needs to do something here. Well, let's look at, yeah, as we look at the federal deficit, you know, I think it's uh, just out of line with over a trillion dollars or something, in, you know, every year going into the red. Uh, you know, does this correlate to our unemployment? Definitely. Um, Mitt Romney, and I'm going to quote, wants to create a merit-based opportunity society that gathers and creates a citizenry that pioneers, that invents, that builds, that creates. As these people exert the effort and take the risks inherent in, in invention and creation, they employ and lift the rest of us, creating prosperity for us all. The rewards they earn do not make the rest of us poorer. They make us better off. American prosperity is fully dependent upon our opportunity society. Obama, on the other hand, seeks to replace our merit-based society with an entitlement society. In an entitlement society, everyone receives the same or similar rewards regardless of education, effort, and willingness to take risk. That which is earned by some is redistributed to others, and the only people to truly enjoy disproportionate rewards are the people who do the redistributing, the government. Entitlement societies are praised in academic circles far removed from the reality of a competitive world. Opportunity is replaced by the certainty that everyone in an entitlement society will enjoy nearly the same rewards, but there's another certainty. They will be poor. In an entitlement society, the invigorating pursuit of happiness is replaced by the deadening reality that there's no prospect for a better tomorrow. Risk-taking disappears. Innovation withers, and small business is replaced by large government enterprises. And the result is a nation that stagnates, that declines, that cannot defend itself. So, in my opinion, with Romney's leadership, more jobs will be created by business leaders willing to take risks and expand operations in the USA rather than overseas. However, average is over for workers in our country. We're in a global economy, and U.S. employees must compete with people in other nations who must work hard to keep their jobs. Many are well-educated and take jobs that can't be filled in our country as so many positions require technical competence. Our nation must focus on helping more technically trained people graduate from colleges and vocational training schools. And what that's going to require, Alan, is a, a partnering culture, 
uh, Mitt Romney turned around Bain. It's now one of the most successful management consulting firms in the world with five to 6,000 employees, helping all sorts of companies improve their performance and hire more people. Well, promising employees can be mentored and motivated to excel. Excellent, excellence attracts excellence. And I'm going to talk now about something that's probably a little bit, uh, your listeners may or may not agree with this, uh, something I've witnessed over the past four decades that we've been in business, and that is right-to-work states are more competitive than most other states. A Romney administration will assure that anti-business NLRB policies are eliminated. Protecting the jobs of those who are not as competent as their fellow employees is not how is how many union leaders stay in office. Romney will also assure that regulations do not drive business out of the nation. The Southern California Air Quality Board has just issued a ruling so that one of our clients will no longer be able to use cutting oil in their machines for manufacturing processes. Another example of anti-business regulation that's driving business out of California. And then the last, our tax code needs to be simplified. You you run a major accounting firm. You, you, Absolutely. You know. <laughs> Absolutely. On taxes, I agree. Many corporate and individual deductions and credits, uh, credit should be eliminated to bring in more revenue so that the budget can be balanced without an increase in the tax rates. Half our citizens pay no income tax and are subsidized by the other half. The important national priority is to create jobs for them so they can improve their standard of living and also do their share in paying for what should be a much smaller government. The federal and state government can also privatize government functions to reduce their deficits. In almost all cases, this lowers the cost to the taxpayer by delegating services to entrepreneurs. And that's another thing private capital does. You know, I, I, I totally agree with that philosophy that you need to turn it back to the individuals, to the businesses, so that they can continue to innovate. It's what made this country what it is, a land of opportunity and building and uh, creating new businesses. And with new businesses come new jobs and the ability to continue to create. Uh, I, I picked up that half half of America is currently uh, paying no tax at all. Right. So for the people that pay no tax, hey, nothing wrong with that, I guess. But then the other 58% of the budget is currently on entitlement uh, spending and programs. So, you know, it just comes down to say that this type of behavior cannot be sustained into the future and i appreciate all those great thoughts there but well, dick we got to take a quick break and uh, we'll be right back after these messages protecting your family's health and welfare is a sacred trust at greenstein rogoff olson company we know that sound financial planning will protect them now and in the future we're certified public accountants with tax services for the highly successful and voted best CPA firm in the USA. Greenstein Rock of Folsom Company will help you manage your financial affairs so you can focus on what's really important in life. Roco helping you along the way. Apple pie, baseball, and now here's All-American Alan Olson. Welcome back. Uh, we're here today with Dick Buxton of um, Private Wealth Capital, and uh, we've been discussing unemployment and about what this nation is uh, experiencing right now. I 
saw an article recently in the Wall Street Journal that the unemployment is at a three-year low at 8.6%, down from 9% three years ago. And I think if you go back three and a half years ago, under the Bush administration, it was like 4%. So <laughs> needless to say, I, I think that uh, you know we're in a situation that's substantially above uh, where it has traditionally been. So, Dick, what would you do to lower the rate of unemployment today? Well, um, I'd cut operating expense, not jobs. Uh, in well-run companies that have created a partnering culture, ownership is shared by management, and there's no place slackers can hide. They'll shape up or they'll ship out. Many companies and government agencies have too many layers of management and more people than needed for many functions. Creative management with skin in the game can organize the company so that many functions are streamlined or eliminated, if not vital. Some functions are consolidated with employees responsible who know they must work hard and smart to keep their job. We've seen many hundreds of situations where new management breathes life into companies that were just surviving due to senior management staying long after they lost their effectiveness. Some senior officers slow down due to their age. But some are less than competent but are protected by family ties to control shareholders. When a new CEO invests more than they want to lose, partner with a private equity group and a few other committed managers, we have seen great turnarounds. And in some cases, these companies pre-fund an employee stock ownership plan that can become a market for the private equity group when they want to exit. These growth companies cut out all fat and become profitable so they can acquire other companies that are close to liquidation, thus saving jobs and opening new markets for additional opportunities. Uh, Dick, how, how serious of a problem do you think unemployment is? I think that unemployment could be solved very quickly if we stopped subsidizing unemployment. You, only, you, know, you get what you pay for, the golden rule. You pay people for not working, they're not going to work. And so, therefore, if you counsel them on how to find a job, if they need it, loan them some money, even without collateral up to a certain point, and beyond that point, they have to get someone else to co-sign. I had a friend of mine, little personal anecdote, and he lost his company. And he tried to, to get back into business in the same business that he'd gotten out of. And... and I encouraged him to just go get a job. Just go sell real estate because he'd built a major real estate operation. He didn't want to do that. He said, I couldn't do that. I'd be bored silly. But, you know, just just a little more, you know, capital dick because I'd been loaning him some money. And it'll all work out. I said, okay, I'll, I'll match whatever your kids give you. Whatever <laughs> they loan you, I match. Oh, that was cruel. His wife called me. Oh, Dick, we'd be so embarrassed with our children. I said, well, you know a lot of wealthy people. I'll subsidize what anyone else will loan you if you don't want your kids to do it. Oh, well, we couldn't do that. Uh, why? Well, we have a certain, you know, position. I said, you don't have it anymore. Hey, quit kidding yourself. So finally, the three boys came up with a little bit, and I had to more than match, but I was happy to do it. But guess what? The next day... This fellow was out looking for a job in a tract selling real estate. Hated to do it. And guess what? At the end of the first year, he led the entire organization. He told me later, he said, that was the, the best tough love I've ever had. 
you made me have to go down to my kids and say, I'm sorry, I need your help. I said, what are kids for? But he wanted to maintain that position. Well, a lot of people feel that way. They won't take a job that's demeaning. They won't mow a lawn. They won't wash dishes. They won't sell newspapers. I mean, I've done all that. I didn't like it, so that's why I got an education. <laughs> you know, I, I have to agree that, uh, you know, I think when, when the, price, the, the crisis has happened within the homes, uh, people should first look within their own family right. to try and solve these problems. Uh, who's going to have a better perspective and a love for the individuals? Uh, that's right. And if, and if you've raised a good family, that family is going to be taking care of you. I mean, I took care of my mother for as long as she lived. My dad had an accident. No way would I ever let society take care of my mother. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it's pride. We have to instill pride again in America. It used to be if you were on the dole, you'd, you wanted no one to know about it. If you were taking welfare, no way. You did it quietly, secretly, except yeah. they wouldn't let you. Yeah, it's an yeah, interesting You had to go down and apply yeah. and then be humiliated. So people stayed away from that, and they mm-hmm. took jobs, just anything to earn money, and, and then they felt good about themselves. You have to feel good about yourself, or or life is very miserable. You made that point in a program I, I watched. I, I think that, it, that that whole philosophy comes back in terms of, uh, you know, all you have in your life is your time. Right. And what you do with your time. And the person that, that spends half their life off on welfare or some type of entitlement program saying, I'm trying to get by, is missing the real picture and the experience of life That's right. itself. That's right. So, um, you know, I have to say, just last week, Mitt Romney told a 21-year-old college student in New Hampshire the following. Her name was a Kaylee Durkett. And he said, what I can promise you is this. When you get out of college, if I am president, you'll have a job. So politicians often make promises that citizens are skeptical about them keeping. Uh, what truths do you think there are about what Romney said? And do you think that he'll be able to create more jobs when he's elected? Oh, no question, which is why I'm out um, as a crusader for Romney. You know, uh, Tom Tierney, who introduced me to the Romney campaign, and then introduced, uh, and through that I met Mitt Romney, and just like just like you have, and we're both in, in the trenches trying to help raise money to help a great guy get in to straighten out a very dysfunctional government. But Tom Tierney gave a speech at a at a group I belong to in Hawaii, the Hawaii Executives Council, and he it was really he was outlining his new book. He he got one of the first standing ovations other than a cabinet secretary I've ever seen in this small organization. But he took the theme that in life there are losers, there are cruisers, and there are crusaders. And in any organization, the objective is to cultivate the crusaders who will cause the cruisers to cruise at a higher level and together, the cruisers and crusaders will drive out the losers. Now, are you always a loser because you're driven out of a job? No. You figure out, why did I lose that job? And you go to someone and you get some help. And then you go back in again, you start cruising, and, and eventually maybe become a crusader. You know, I think that, it, that that's a great philosophy then in terms of people evaluating. You know, <clears throat> every one of us as we go through life, we'll have our successes and we'll have our failures. Failures are the opportunity to learn. 
right. from the past mistakes. And uh, there's something about when you lose a job, it's someone stepping in, like the government in this case, is saying, look, I'll pay you to stay down. Yeah. Don't move, and I'll take care of you oh, yeah. as long as you stay oppressed from yeah. getting back up on your feet. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I, it, it doesn't work. The it's Chinese were subdued for years by the warlords by getting, making sure they had plenty of opium. <laughs> so they're always kind of sleepy and under their <laughs> Well, I'll tell you. Hey, Dick, we got to take a quick break here. We'll be right back after these messages. You're listening to American Dreams with Alan Olson on AM 1220 KDOW. With any project, leadership becomes an important factor, whether it's painting your own home or managing your financial affairs. At Greenstein, Rogoff, Olson Company, we're certified public accountants and trusted advisors to the highly successful. So visit us at groco.com or call us today to learn how we can help. Groco, helping you along the way. Apple pie, baseball, and now here's All American Alan Olson. Welcome back. We're with Dick Buxton of Private Capital Corp. We've been talking today about job creation. A lot of great insight about where we're currently at in this economy and uh, the challenges that, that we currently face. So, Dick, before uh, in the last segment, you had mentioned that you would like to uh, create more jobs in a company without necessarily cutting spending. Can you elaborate on that? Sure. Well, first of all, uh, private capital starts out to, to determine whether we can help a prospective client at, and whether the company can be perpetuated or need a succession plan or must be sold and need a plan to get the company ready for sale to assure a fair price for the shareholders. Many companies go under because they don't really know what they're doing. Are they building the company to last and, and, and with a succession plan? Or are they building the company to sell at a profit and move on to something else? We try to help them define that up front. We've created many unique ways to help a control shareholder make this decision, and one of them is our business life survey. Now, the problem is that many companies, like individuals, have health issues. Some issues are easily managed. Some chronic issues affect the quality of life, and more serious health issues can lead to premature death. Meanwhile, most business owners, entrepreneurs, and CEOs never take the time to objectively and honestly assess their business's true health. They're too occupied with fighting frontline fires, and some are in denial hoping, wishing, assuming that the sickness will go away. Haven't we all done that with our health? Well, CEOs in this kind of company are not hiring many new employees, even if, even if you could borrow money to do it. They just, they, they just, there's something dysfunctional with the company itself. The solution, business BLS, we call it, the Business Life Survey, is intended to shine a light on the truth of a business and give owners the information and courage to be proactive. The methodology is that we invented business life screening to give business owners an uncontaminated business health, an MRI for a business. We developed 10 simple statements. We ask an owner to rate these statements honestly. 
The written survey takes no more than a couple of minutes. The survey is evaluated by a private capital analyst who is like a profiler. He has no information about the company and makes a speculative analysis based solely on numbers. In this way, there's no bias. A few days later, we submit a business health score, and it's similar to what people know as a credit score. And the outcome, the survey costs nothing. We offer preliminary recommendations, and we also follow up with a call to answer questions and see if there's a need or a desire for the next steps. And the conclusion is that many companies die needless deaths. Many owners, after years of investment and work, never cash in at the level they should because they fail to act with the right steps at the right time. Those companies don't hire people. Now, one of the reasons that people can't seem to get a company uh, moving in the right direction is that they're trying to do it all themselves. They don't have bench strength in management. And eventually, we, we come to a, at a time when we say, can the company really be perpetuated? But they don't want to sell the company. They have a lot of employees. They like them. They just haven't been able to grow. And so we created a concept called Private Capital Partners. And for almost four decades, we've focused on creating a unique, a unique team of experts in all disciplines required for creating what, what we call immaculate succession. Succession of a, new co- of a company may require both new capital and a new CEO who can attract this capital. Create a partnering culture with all employees and be accepted by other company management, bankers, customers, and family shareholders who want to continue with partial ownership of the company. You've seen this in your practice, uh, Alan. When you invest more than you can afford to lose, you tend to learn the game. So there must be a search for a future CEO who will invest in the company. Management talent is just one of the attributes needed to run a private company, a mid-market private company. Willingness to invest their own money (coughs) in a company separates those with employee attitudes with those of an entrepreneur who's a very special breed. You're an entrepreneur. You understand that. (laughs) There are thousands of private equity firms who will invest in companies where senior management invests their own money. I've co-founded two private equity groups. One of them has invested close to $40 billion in the 30 years since it was founded. The other one was smaller, and and we we sent back half the money because we we didn't think we could invest it properly in the early 90s. I'm glad we did. The money we did invest paid off for our partners, so that was was the objective. And then we decided there's so much money chasing so few deals that private capital would be in the business of facilitating these things rather than investing in them ourselves. So many private equity groups are willing to make minority equity investments. We arrange financing for the rest of the capital needed with senior and subordinated debt. The private equity group will be partners with management and private capital as we will continue to assist the firm after the transaction. Members of our private capital alliance, staff, affiliates, consultants, clients, and advisory board members collectively have a large proprietary potential deal flow of mid-market companies built by CEOs who do not have a qualified successor on their senior management team. And that's the key. If you've got the right management in place, then you'll hire more people. You'll, you'll, you'll acquire smaller firms that are about to go out of business and, and, un, and cause unemployment, and you'll save the employment. That's what our nation needs. We need to have someone who has an entrepreneurial mindset like Mitt Romney who will attract thousands of people like him 
to get into every agency of government and streamline it and then go back to the private uh, uh, sector. This, you know, this should not be a continual, you know, uh, uh, let, let's say uh, government employee uh, uh, culture that's been created. Uh, it, it makes a difference when you have skin in the game. And uh, and I, I wholeheartedly agree with, with that, uh, you know, you get people that have their skin in the game or risking their own money, and all of a sudden, you know, they're, they're interested in uh, preserving their own capital uh, with that. I uh, recently read, uh, you know, a, uh, something came across my desk about a person starting up a new company. And uh, they had they were in the process of trying to get other people's money. But their whole plan is they were getting ready to launch, launch their company by using government money. <laughs> the Department of Commerce was going to be their first client. And I'm like, this does not sound right. <laughs> and I said, uh, shades it, of Salandra. <laughs> it's interesting. Yeah, it was. It's interesting. That's exactly what I thought. Mm-hmm. I thought so. Yeah, they're willing to spend. Uh, it's, it seems like companies are willing to spend other people's money uh, without any responsibility uh, or accountability for it. So, so let me ask you something. If, if you have a business that you're that has too many expenses and, and they're thinking of laying off jobs, what would you do at, at your company? If you were um, assisting them, would you, would you help them to cut operating expenses versus laying off employees? Let me tell you some, some actual cases. In 1981, when interest rates went from, you know, 7 or 8% to what most companies had to pay us, 20 22% because they weren't prime borrowers. And, and that forced the sale of one of our subsidiaries for a few million dollars. It's, it's today worth a lot of money. But we had to. We had to keep, we had to keep the mother load going. And so we had to, we had to sell an asset in order to preserve uh, uh, the mother load. And then we concentrated more on our consulting business. And one of the things we were getting from our clients all over the country is this, this very issue. We had a client in, in uh, Jonesboro, Arkansas, 400 employees. And, and um, this, the chairman called me just beside himself. He said, we're going to have to lay off at least 10% of all of our employees. I don't know what to do about this. I don't know. It's going to be the younger people that, that, have young families, but I don't know how else we're going to survive. We're not going to be able to survive otherwise. I said, why don't we have a wage forbearance program, and I'll, I'll come in and help you sell it, and so that everyone takes a pay cut, the lower-income people 3 or 4%, the higher-income people maybe up to 20%, and then the executives take 50%. He said, well, that'll be hard to sell to the executives. I said, well, you, you all have stock in the companies. You're an employee stock ownership plan. The executives own stock. Would they rather have 50% or nothing? Well, you come in and, and, and make that sale. Easiest sale in the world. Everyone was happy to, to uniformly take a pay cut because they had some skin in the game themselves. They had equity. Yeah. So yeah. where you have broadened ownership, then it's much easier to manage a company because you're not dealing with a bunch of people that are looking at your two your two Mercedes Benz, your vacations. Mm-hmm. They're sitting there. With, they're going to be laid off, and they get resentful. So whenever you put an in-place stock ownership plan in, and we put in over a thousand of them, you see a whole change in culture within the company. Dick, how do more? We're, we're running up against the break here, but how do how do people contact you for more information on these in-place well, stock we have ownership a, we plans? We have a beautiful website. Okay, it's privatecapitalcorp.com. 
All right, and they can just find the contact information and, off that. And they they look at they look at contact us, and they'll see staff, and they'll see my name, and they click on my email, and I'm there. All right, hey Dick, it's been a pleasure having you here on the show today, and uh, talking about job creation in America. We'll be right back after these messages. You're listening to American Dreams with Alan Olson on AM twelve twenty KDOW. In my flower business, I make deliveries using my bicycle. Am I eligible for a green credit for using an energy-efficient vehicle? I need help with my puppet business. Should I hire an employee or an independent contractor? Dad, I'm a slow business. At Greenstein Rogoff Olson Company, we're certified public accountants with tax services for the highly successful. For your business and your family, call GroCo. GroCo, helping you along the Apple pie, baseball, and now here's All-American Alan Olson. Welcome back. Well, that was an incredible interview with Dick Buxton. Yes, that was very nice. It was nice to have him here. You know, I think as we're uh, as we're finalizing our 2011 list in 2012, now is the time to start planning and uh, looking at what do we want to do for the next year. What goals do we want to accomplish? And uh, I think having goals in life is always a great thing because it measures your own accountability to what you said you'd like to do. Are you really doing the things in life that you're setting out to do? Right. Well, it plays a key role in the success of each individual. Uh, for instance, we have some of us might have uh, challenges of unemployment, et cetera, but we can set goals for this coming year in order to get out of um, – that situation and and when you there's something about writing it down and making a plan that helps you succeed and become accountable for instance i have made a goal to shed some weight uh we'll see how well that that's one of my most difficult goals is you know exercising committing to exercising and losing weight but hopefully i'm going to write it down and Hopefully, I'll be successful this year. Well, I think when we give ourselves the opportunity to uh, become accountable to our own selves, it uh, it becomes more meaningful. And Nadine, I'm with you on that. (laughs) (laughs) It's also my goal. You know, it was interesting that uh, in the area of goal setting, I had set out some time ago setting certain goals in life. And uh, when I uh, came to work at GroCo, uh, interview with the managing partner at that time, Barry Rogoff, you know, he asked me what my goals and what my aspirations were. And I said, you know, Barry, I said, someday I'm going to sit in your seat. I said, I don't want to you take that as too egotistical or anything on that vein. Uh, but he says, that's one of the goals I have. Barry said, look, I'll give you the seat right now. <laughs> I said, no, I'm not ready for that. But, you know, as we went through and worked together for some 12 years, uh, unfortunately, Barry went to Hawaii um, and while with his family, had a heart attack and died. Oh. And uh, and suddenly it was just left with uh, Maury Greenstein and myself. And um, Maury looked at me and says, Alan, what do you want to do? He says, I'm 77 years old. And, um, and he says, you got a lot more years ahead of you. I said, Maury, I said, I'm not done yet. I said, let's go build this thing and make it as successful as we can. And the first two years I stepped in as a managing partner, we grew some 65%. That's amazing. 
Oh, it was a it was a an amazing ride. I mean, never had the firm experienced such tremendous growth before. Uh, but it was interesting. Dick Buxton wrote a book he called um, "You've Built a Successful Business Now What." And it's also known as a guide to perpetuating your business. And uh, in the case of our firm, when we grew so tremendously, we caught national attention and were ranked as one of the best managed CPA firms in America. And uh, by th- throughout all the CPA firms, and I'm, I was thinking, yeah, w- what's your next act to be ranked as best of the best? And uh, I thought, you know, in in life and as you're running businesses and also managing your personal affairs, it's always about progression. It's always about trying to do a little bit better than you've done in the past. And uh, and I think that attribute can never um, be set off to the side. Right. That goal setting, it goes back to goal setting and writing down your plan. We're coming into a new year and everybody should be sitting down and writing out their goals for the new year. I think measuring what, what we've done in the past and how we'll change things that we do in the future. Uh, I think as you look back in life, and I always like to look at life from the, you know, starting at the very end and then tailing that back. You know, where do you want to end up? If, if a person were to read your eulogy, you know, what do you want them to say about you? What difference did you make in their life? Right, right. And those are personal goals as well because they might not be business goals as much as what did you personally give of yourself to others? How did you help others in a more charitable way? You know, I think it comes down to the heart of the issue about what really matters in life. All the things that we do in life, the majority have to be focused in on uh, money, financial transactions. But if we begin with the end in mind, as Stephen Covey puts it, he says, uh, most of the times we're not back on financial matters. Right. You know, they have something to do with uh, who we are as a as an individual. Um, there was an individual I recently ran across uh, this last week, and, and we started talking about life. And uh, and I, I said to them, I said, have you ever sat down and, you know, uh, did you, you know, did genealogy work? And they said, no. I said, well, it's like one of the number one, number two hobby in the world. I said, but the interesting thing is it gives a perspective when you start to research all your generations and realize what every ancestors before you did. They had a short window of life from birth to death. What did they do with their time here on earth? And uh, it, it's interesting to learn all about um, the perspective of, uh, you know, using your time wisely. Right. Okay. Well, Alan, it's Happy New Year to you. It, we're coming up on a 2012. I hope your goals are as successful as ever. Thank you, Nadine. Hey, it's been a pleasure ha- having you here today, and uh, the uh, same team will be back again next week on American Dates.